Welcome to Women's Health, Wisdom, and Wine, a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.larenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, remember to follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and tap on the bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Let us know what is your favorite topic, who has been your favorite guest, and who would you like to hear from on the next pod. Most importantly, share the podcast and your favorite episode with a friend or colleague. Lastly, remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. In today's episode, Sharon Pratt talks with us about the decentralizing of women of color, dismantling the system of white supremacy, and replacing it with a system of justice, and three very unique types of yoga, laughing yoga, gospel yoga, and dog yoga. Let's listen. Welcome, welcome, and we are back today with a multi-dimensional, multidisciplinary, multimodal, and multicultural human being. Her name is Sharon Pratt. So, with no further ado, Sharon, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about a little bit more about you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. Indeed. Um, well, what can I tell you about myself? I like, yeah, that, that, uh, intro, that was the best way to describe. (laughs) I, uh, I kind of have my hands in a lot of things, but, um, the main thing that for me, I guess that I can share about myself is, um, I have a business called Natural Rhythms and Natural Rhythms is kind of like my life's work all in one. Um, it's, a living curriculum intended to invite all of us to return to our natural rhythms, the natural rhythms that yeah. deal with the earth, that deal with each other, that deal with um, spiritual qualities and values. So, yeah, that that that's my that's what I tend to do. But I'm also an artist. I make music. I create art. I like to be around my animals so yeah um i i I think we'll get into more of who i am (laughs) yeah Yeah. i think that's the next thing all right so i'm just gonna dive right into it all right decentralizing women of color is a common thing theme more often than not these days which is unfortunate because we are doing some phenomenal work both inside and outside of our respective communities today i'm talking with you so sharon Tell us a little bit more about Hermelination and what um, Hermelination does. 
Okay. Um, so Her Melanation is, well, it originally started as a study group. Um, okay. we, it was like a digital community for women of color to network and uplift each other um, through the ongoing battle of white supremacy and uh, misogyny and all the other oppressive systems. Um, and the study group was around right. Neely Fuller's work, um, Neely Fuller Jr., who wrote the United Independent mm -hmm. Compensatory Code System Concept textbook. I know that's a mouthful, um, but it, he really is like, yeah. that's the whole <laughs> title. You actually have to say all those words. Right. Um, and really what, what was incredible about this work to me, it was like <clears throat> such a, like, it was like a handbook on how to deal with racism. And um, coupled with Fran Dr. Francis Cress Wellsling's work, who also, like, the two of them together kind of uh, bounced off of each other in their work. And um, when I found it, I, I, I have to give credit where credit is due. It was not me just, you know, Googling the internet. It was through, uh, through <laughs> you know, it, it was kind of a, an esoteric thing to find. A lot of people don't know about this book, and it's something that can free a lot of us. Um, and so I was just, like, very hungry to digest this material. I was like, okay, this can set us all free. This can uh, really balance out what a lot of the things that I see in the world. And it gave me, like, the glasses right. to see. Um, mm -hmm. so it, it, you know, it's originally started as a study group and then it morphed into something even greater. And, um, it was, it became like a digital collective of women of color who are teachers, healers, artists, activists, developers, creators, entrepreneurs, advocates, doctors, lawyers. I mean, you name it. It was just all sorts of right. people were coming together and really just as a sisterhood, as a, as a, you know, collective and, um, you know, it's black and indigenous first, so it honors the creator through all of her expressions, but highlights the beauty and royalty of the black universal woman and the indigenous woman. Um, and so, like, people are like, what does that mean? Is right. It's all women of color are welcomed and mm -hmm. honored. And also we, because of the work that, like, is the background of this, which is Neely Fuller Jr.'s work and Dr. Cress Welsing's work, it was like, we have to highlight that there's this concept that the system of white supremacy is operating on this primal instinct for genetic, you know, uh, what's the word? Preservation. Um, that, you know, mm -hmm. that yeah. white supremacy actually is the fear of being completely wiped out because melanin wipes out like, um, non-dominant yeah so right so it, it's like uh, that as a as a thing was kind of like highlighted and um yeah at the time while I was doing this it was not a real popular topic now it's kind of trendy to talk on these terms but back then it was like mm -hmm. crickets <laughs> hello anybody and even now you guys still tiptoe around who you talking to who's there who's listening what they're receiving from what you're actually saying and then how they're going to interpret that when they go to speak to, you know, some other group who's not, you know, completely culturally aware, conscious and ready to receive some of the topics and some of the delivery um, of some, some of these topics, because again, they're still sensitive and not everybody's ready to digest them at all. And, and 
it it's not even just white people who aren't ready it's uh oh, it's no. all of us you know and it because it it yeah. gets uncomfortable and i used to say um right. when you utter the word racism or white supremacy you better be ready for the energy that comes back from that because it's yeah. like uh you're invoking that and so you're ready are you ready to fight that are you ready are you ready for that because it will it will like ah oh what do you care about this you're, you have a white parent you yeah know, but you're not you know it's like yeah yeah so yeah you gotta be ready but now i i love what's happened through it because i feel like <laughs> me just like I, I wasn't a trained anything at that point I mean I was I was trained mm -hmm. in other things but not to have like racial conversations and so it was like during I, the beginning stages of her melanation it was like okay I don't know how to process all these things you know so working through I guess sisterhood inside of these contexts and honoring the fact that you know even someone with my skin complexion my heritage has been used as a as a conduit of of the system of white supremacy that you know the lighter your skin the more privilege you have the more, you know like these sort of things were stuff that I personally had to face in this collective in this group um and right. you know what what's come through it is it's like genuine real sisterhood and conversations and where where yeah. that where what you just said that tiptoeing thing kind of got wiped out and you know we've mm -hmm. had things like face painting and dances and dressing up and going to the beach we've done you know a lot of fun things like skating and and right. meeting up like that but also being able to sit quietly in meditation upon the realities that we face um right so and doing that without the barriers without the masks without the common things that we look at that typically separate us but without looking at the things that can unite us stronger than, you know, most other bonds. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So. yeah. so when I hear her melanation, I'm hearing um, women of color, uh, a collective. I hear fellowship. I hear communal. I hear uplifting. I hear also the ongoing battle of dismantling a system of white supremacy and replacing it with a system of justice. So. As you utilize those key texts that you mentioned by Dr. Neely, um, Dr. Francis Cress and Neely Fuller Jr., um, tell me how have these writings formed a foundation for a discussion of race and gender and class and justice and all those intersections? Wow, um, I'm gonna try not to cry about that one because that you know it's like it's something that I feel like is everyone should have both Neely Fuller Jr.'s books, the the Word Code um, and the Compensatory Guide, um, and just, like, dive deep into Dr. Cress's, like, ISIS papers, uh, lectures. Those things, honestly, right. I, I feel like is the whole framework for how I look at life now. I, I can't unsee it. Yeah. It's... It, it's and they're very simple truths. So the way the book is broken down is into nine areas of activity. This is um, this is Neely Fuller's book. Okay. And I mean, like very specific, like almost to like the kindergarten level breakdown of what you're supposed to do. So for mm -hmm. instance, there's a there you know something. There's a section on um, I think people and politics or maybe dealing with work related situations, and 
he he the way the 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 books worked out is like he'll ask a question and then he answers the question under it so one of them was like what you know what to do uh when you're at a job and Uh your boss is kind of displaying symptoms of you know being racist being a white supremacist and (laughs) he says basically ask specifics asking questions is the way to dismantle white supremacy that as a a whole ideology is really potent and very um uh, is it's it's like a secret weapon yeah and you you can see it you can kind of see it where it's like instead of getting activated instead of getting triggered you ask Mm -hmm. questions and so his thing was ask from be ask your your superior to show you from beginning middle to end exactly how this task or this this whatever mm-hmm. whatever the the complaint about you might be ask for the beginning middle and end of this task to be displayed to you to be shown to you right, right. and so that way you can kind of pinpoint okay can you can you carry out this activity? Can uh-huh. you do this activity? And um, once I see how you do it, I'm going to carbon co- copy, uh, do that. You know, I'm going right. to do that activity exactly how you show me. And if we have problems after this, I have a, you know, a, a pinpoint time to be able to say this is, you know, this is something that we t- already discussed. This is something we already right. talked about. Um yeah, it, it's almost like just being in a state of neutral questioning. Yeah. You know, even even when you see something, it's not being activated, but being able to ask a question about it. Can you tell me more about that? What right. did you mean by that? When you use that racial slur, what did you mean by that? You know, right. you, 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 no, seriously. seriously I'm, like, I'm so laughing because all I can see, I can see myself asking such a question and really waiting for a response. Like, no, I, I'm waiting. Like, Tell me more what you meant about that. Tell me how you, how, all those things. And that's why I'm laughing. Not because it's funny itself, but like the conversation and how that conversation is going to go afterward is just entertainment. <laughs> totally. And that's why I feel like it's even more juicy because as people of color, you know, around each other, we can appreciate that sort of insider conversation, yeah. right? It's like, that, okay, uh, what did you mean by that? It's like, really standing ten toes down on like just being neutral but also yeah. like I'm not gonna allow for this. I'm not gonna allow for this. I'm not gonna and reclaiming that whole interaction instead of making it a point where you have to react, you can respond. Being at a place where you, you feel like you need to disengage, you further engage and not by raising tones, not by fighting physically or otherwise, but about like let's ask more into it. What did you mean when you use that racial slur? Was I mean all of it, and I find, again, I can see that playing out, done the right way. You're gonna frustrate someone else before you get frustrated, and it actually seems like it could have a level of fun to it until you know until somebody decides to go take things completely to the left and do something com- crazy. But in the in the overarching scheme of things, I can see how that could be quite entertaining in and of itself and still having a conversation where you're trying to get answers and find out answers because you might learn something. Totally, totally. It's, I highly recommend it um, for anybody who's, you know, about that work. Um, Get it. Yeah. Get those, get those books. It's really, really powerful books. They will definitely be in the show notes. So you identify as a woman of color, daughter of a Sri Lankan mother and a white father, if I'm correct. 
So talk to us about your lived experience in terms of ethnic differences and social acceptance. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think I mentioned earlier, it was like, you know, people be like, why do you care about this stuff? You have a white father. You, why would you care about any of this? You know, you, it's like, how, how dare you speak on something? And it's like, well, to be real, that is why I speak on this stuff. Um, my, you know, my father right. is one of my closest friends and loved ones in my life. And also, um, with that, realizing that there are, throughout life, there was just always a certain barrier between us right. um, where he just couldn't really quite give me what I needed because mm -hmm. he couldn't relate. He didn't know. He didn't understand. Right. And um, because my primary uh, upbringing was inside of the Sri Lankan culture, I have always just called myself Sri Lankan, you know, and it was only mm -hmm. a, after I got uh, a few rude awakenings in life that was like, oh, okay, um, I'm mixed. <laughs> I'm okay. mixed. Uh, I'm mixed up. You know, there, there's a there's a clip from Family Guy that <laughs> is pretty hilarious. He's like, you know, talking about mixed people. He's like, these mixed up tomorrow people like Bruno Mars is like, we don't know where we come from. We don't know, um, you know, necessarily our, our heritage and our lineage, but um, and how to necessarily identify in this world. Uh, right, right. When 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 growing up in this country specifically, uh, you have a choice of what kind of narrative you're going to be a part of. Are you going to be part of the mm -hmm. white narrative or are you going to be yeah. part of the black narrative? Those are basically the choices. You have them in between, but we, the, as far as like a kid looking at what am I watching on TV? What type mm -hmm. of music am I listening to? What, you know, who are my friends? You, you have these choices. And, and for on top me, of that, it's how other people see you. Sometimes you are secure in your identity. You know who you are. You know who you roll with. You know all those things and you are secure. But then everybody else around you, because either you're racially ambiguous or you don't act like what they feel you should act like, they put things on you about what you should be, how you should act, what you should talk like and like who you should hang out with, what activities you should enjoy. So then there's that next la layer of I'm good, but everybody else around me has something to say or feel some type of way or is uncomfortable with how I present in the world. Totally, totally. <laughs> I, I was like in this little safe haven growing up because I, I grew up in Montgomery County. Uh -huh. uh, you know, we, the melting pot of the melting pot. We have every kind of, you know, every kind of culture and every kind of nationality possible around here. And um, I grew up in a like in an international church. Uh -huh. And so then my dad was a pastor. We heavily involved in the church. And so my cultural context un up until maybe about the age of 14 was so... I would say really sheltered. That's the best yeah. way to say it because there was just so many cultures and so much uh, like vibrant diversity in my life that I didn't really have uh, like too much awareness about who I was right, as right. far as like, uh, you know, I'm a person of color or not, you mm -hmm. know, or whatever, whatever that conversation was. And at the age of 14, my family relocated to the middle of Ohio where I and my mom and maybe two other people were the only people of color in the area. Right. And it was when I started getting the, 
you're a skanky Mexican and you're mm-hmm. a brown girl. You know, like these names that was just like, uh, what? Yeah. What's this? Mm-hmm. What's this? Right. And that has nothing, in- you even have no connection to yourself. Like, what do you even mean by that? Is that supposed to be a slur? Like all of those things. And it's like, but it's clearly not positive. But why is it negative? Or right. why are you coming at me like that? What have I done? Who have I offended by just merely being and being present? Totally, totally. And, you know, being 14 years old, it's like, uh, I, you know, you you respond differently. I responded by trying to be a chameleon or trying to laugh it off. A lot of my uh, ways of dealing with it was trying to laugh it off. Um, But it got to the point where, uh, like, homecoming, my sophomore year of high school uh you know I didn't know anybody I'm a new person in this small town that sort of thing and I was asked to wait outside of somebody's home after homecoming because their grandmother was racist and it was just it was like it was like no we really traveled back in time to (laughs) this is you know what I'm saying like I was it was it was weird and I never really like processed it until I left Ohio Mm -hmm. but Ohio was my like boiler for why all of the racial stuff became so like relevant to me and I'll say that it was a privilege to not have to experience that in such an extreme way until that point but I came back like people looked at me and saw me oh she came back different after she came back from Ohio um, mm-hmm. because I did come back I after after my first year of college there I came back and I was like rearing to go yeah um which is how i got into yoga and other eastern philosophies because i came back with like a fire from my ancestry really to just be like yeah no i'm not (laughs) co-signing this stuff i'm not co-signing any of this stuff i need like real answers and um yeah, yeah yeah so so we're going to keep it going. As a practitioner, you focus on or your focus is on self-love and has some authentically unique variations. Talk to us about how you explore <laughs> self-love and self-care practices through Ayurvedic trans, uh, traditions, yoga, and traditional Chinese medicine. Sure. Um, yeah, so my my yoga was kind of the main vein of all of this stuff if I'm honest um that was the thing that I kind of like almost immediately when I came back from Ohio I was just hungry if you will and um I went to just you know somebody's gym fitness class at the at the place that I was working at I was teaching preschool at the time mm-hmm. and at the Jewish community center um and they had yoga classes so I went and I remember at the end, they played, you know, like an Indian mantra. They, uh-huh. they had like a Sanskrit mantra. And the end, the lady at the that was leading the class, she led us in an ohm. Uh-huh. And I felt it on such a vibrational level. And I also knew that it was a little weird to see her as a white woman doing that. Right. Um, and that kind of was the theme for my whole like yogic training or mm-hmm. or study here in the states where it was like a lot of white women teaching me about <laughs> yourself you know like <laughs> teaching me about my culture yeah and teaching mm-hmm. me about like pronunciation within my you know so after 
I got my first training and I was like, you know, sent out into the, into the world to teach yoga. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm not with the yoga studios. I'm really not. I really can't do this. I can't like there was so much like talking to me. And again, I didn't have a lot of this, the stuff that I got from Neely Fuller and stuff like that to be able to have the context to understand what was going on. But I was like, dude, they have a whole deity painted on the wall and they're putting their feet on it in, in temples. You're not Mm -hmm. even supposed to like put your feet towards the shrine. Like you're, you're supposed to cover your feet and never put your feet towards. They're doing like backflips off this shrine. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, try not to lose it. Try not to lose it. (laughs) What do you do? And I didn't feel powerful enough. I didn't at that time. I felt like I was the outcast. I was the one ruining their parade, you know, Mm -hmm. and luckily I had another uh, friend of mine um, who is Indian of of South Indian descent. So we were like this. uh, Her her family is from, you know, the very, very bottom of. Uh, India and we're Uh from the very very top of Sri Lanka so we had this deep bond throughout that yoga training and uh, by the end both of us were kind of like looking at each other like oh my god we need more than this and also this is there's something to do here right and in that moment and I think I think we take a lot of us take for granted but as I know that's one of my major issues with yoga classes where everyone is white is that there isn't going to be any type of honoring of cultural traditions and more so cultural appropriation. Um, again, we have a comedic yoga teacher on our, on our team. And so we're really, you know, focusing on the, you know, the cultural components that tie the practice together. But how do you, how did you like really feel, I mean, getting, getting more into it, like, literally having someone culturally appropriate the thing that not just is something that you're trying to, I guess, formalize and, you know, train yourself, but actually knowing like, okay, the Sanskrit mispronounced, the the traditions, the actual like sacredness of some of the aspects were being kind of trampled on, but all in the name of yoga, you know, capital Y. Talk to us about that. Ooh, yeah, it's something I still struggle with. It's still something because I, I feel like I've come full circle in a lot of ways where I'm like, no, I want everybody to have access to this medicine. I do. I don't. I don't right. want to gatekeep. I don't want to be, you know, that sort of way. I do feel like uh, <laughs> I was having a conversation once with a friend, and he said, um, you know. <laughs> white people like something and then they go mines now and um that's the problem yeah you know that's the problem is that there's a a gatekeeping that's happening with white people doing that to people of color that's that that's my issue with it and you charge in seven thousand dollars to come to your yoga ayurvedic teacher training and da 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 it's like Nah, y- yeah, y'all, yeah. y'all are, y'all are right. with me at this right. point. And um, I, I feel like the, just something as simple as we honor the land and the teachers that this tradition comes from. Just saying right. that. I do that at the beginning of every one of my classes. We bow our heads, 
honor our honorable known and unknown ancestors, honor our known and unknown honorable teachers of this practice. We honor the land that this practice comes from. Um, That I feel like would just be nice. It would be a courtesy that they could do, you know, and they don't do that. Oftentimes they want to completely cut off the cultural ties because it it insinuates spirituality or it insinuates Mm -hmm. you have to be part of a religion or something so they don't like that it's like let's keep it let's keep it pilates like let's keep it you know lululemon like out here Mm -hmm. and but with um, all the little the little ties to the visual representations that have been bastardized in some way shape or form and Again, there's a fine line between cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation. And you have to walk that line because, again, there are so many other cultures that I can appreciate because they're things that either resonate with me as in terms of my human being, but you just can't act like you own it and then try to destroy the very the ownership of you know, the people that it does belong to. And I think that's where the fine line is. And it's not about us and them or right and wrong or right and wrong. I guess it is about right and wrong, but at the same time, it's still about you can appreciate and definitely express that appreciation, but do so in a way that's honoring. Do that in a way that lifts up. Do that in a way that again demonstrating your appreciation without completely annihilating the root, the source of of the thing of the modality totally totally um you know as we're talking about this there is another flip side and nuance to this which Mm -hmm. it might springboard us into one of our other questions or conversations (laughs) um which is i can be honest and recognize this within my culture south asian Mm -hmm. culture with my within my people that um the representatives from that land who come over here, they're a specific type of person. And the people who have interacted with uh, Europeans in the, in those lands are also a specific type of person. And, and, and without having to make anybody read between the lines is like, they're more likely to be kind of like easily give away the mm. the the juice because hey it benefits me in this system of white supremacy it benefits me to be right. you know generous and say hey come on through Dre- dress in sari put a bindi on your forehead pl- do yoga j- do ayurveda speak in this language because now it makes it feel like we're less of like a far away level or that this system isn't really at play without recognizing that that also like has harmed the communities. And so yeah. when I say, uh, you know, when I say that it's not all just white people's responsibility it's also, mm-hmm. you know, our responsibility too. And I think that uh, not saying it's good or bad or evil or this or that, but there, right. there's also um, a certain vibration of those, of the individuals who do interact with Europeans and who did interact with Europeans to say, Hey, sure. Take this yogic philosophy, run with it. You're now a teacher of it. And there are people who honored it for sure. I, I'm yeah. not saying that I know a lot of like European Absolutely. teachers who are super sacred and honor the system. I'm one of the most amazing teachers who is a white woman, Shiva Ray. I feel like she's somebody who does more to honor <laughs> India and the Indian culture sometimes than even like 
I would even be able to because she spent time there. She's, you know, she's really invested right. in her culture. And I, and I see people like that. But saying all that to say that I want to, I want to just own the, the other part, which is sometimes we are easily like allowing that, mm-hmm. that medicine out. Right. Giving it away, giving it away and, and excited to give it away. And this is the other really important nuance, which is no other culture besides foundational black America was about the fierceness and the strength that it took to protest and to speak about certain things like this. Uh So brown people, yellow people, red people, all of the other colors came behind black America and followed the formula for protesting, for speaking about cultural appropriation, any of that. And so for me, I'm also watching that, you know, that it's not like, oh, I just want to be part of the conversation. So right. let's talk about yoga and appropriation. I just want to be a part of that. Let, let's, let me make my my struggle a real thing. But no, you, you're also happily passing this stuff out. You're happily, right. like, engaging in that. So, you know, even to have the words to say cultural appropriation about yoga, I have to say, came from this country and the and the foul stuff that happened to foundational black America on this land. Right. And so, you know... It, I I want to put that as like a nuanced asterisk inside okay. of this conversation, which is we have benefited from this struggle uh, from black people in this country because it, it it's so potent. It was so intense here. And so us complaining right. about yoga and us complaining about, oh, you took my Ayurveda, it's just the the extremes are not the same and so i have to put that in there where it's like okay i'm fighting this battle but like i still like get to drive down in my car and the police don't look at me the same way you know so absolutely it's all contextual i I, it's it's definitely contextual and i feel like that lately in the last maybe two years since you know uh, i feel like social justice became trendy yeah (laughs) so social justice became trendy it's been like how can everybody hop on you know even the asian reparations and the asian protection act that this country i mean like that's when i have to say hold up right let's 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 put let's put this on a it's a conversation but is it the most important conversation right so yeah well, as we talk about, you know, your practices and the integrative nature of us, let's get specific and talk about self-love Sundays. What does that entail and how can we all enjoy it with you? Hey, I love it. Um, self-love Sundays actually started from really me wanting to love myself. And it um, came after a, a year of real intense um trial by fire. My mother was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease um, Mm -hmm. called scleroderma. And uh, it bound me to the house in in a lot of ways. I I became one of our caregivers, uh, you know, helping around all sorts of things with her care Mm -hmm. um, that I personally, um, it was also in the time of COVID, wasn't teaching. I wasn't around people. I was just kind of, you know, isolated and so self-love Sundays started as a way of like giving people an opportunity to just set an appointment to love themselves um 
And specifically in mind, like what was in the back of my mind were young caregivers, people or people who are dealing with, uh, you know, disabilities or or uh, issues with leaving the home or doing anything outside of the home. Um, And because we were all also all in quarantine. Mm -hmm. So self-love Sundays was just an intention to say, hey, if if you didn't do it at all this week, if you didn't do it at all ever, here's the time to set this appointment with yourself. And uh, we'd go through a yin or a restorative yoga practice um, Mm -hmm. where you you just get all the cushions and the blankets, you get really (laughs) cushy and, and do a few poses and then end with a meditation. And this thing has like transformed my life uh from this i started to write a book called 365 days of self-love tending to your heart garden um so each day you know there's like a little uh thing that comes out later this year that that whole thing just made me say okay how can i be absolutely luxuriously loving to myself how do i do that and not wait for not anybody else to do that um and I, I, I'm in the process now of kind of rethinking it as we're able to be more, you know, out with people and some mm-hmm. of these changes in the, in the, in the mandates and all of that. Um, but really it's something very simple. It's just been so simple. Like every night, every, every Sunday night, um, get on zoom. We share some sound in the background and I walk us through, you know, a restorative practice or a yin practice. And, um, I feel like it, it really turned into exactly what it was. It was like such a love note to myself. Even the fact that I'm teaching, it was just something I needed. I needed to be teaching again. I needed to be in practice again. I needed to see people again. And it, it, it then like flourished into me teaching all these other online classes and doing all these other online workshops and connecting with people, um, in that way. So yeah, it's a donation based class. Um, which means if you have something to donate, amazing. If you don't show up, invite people. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like a cushy way to go to sleep. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like, how, how do we get ready for the week and really get that nice rest before we go into the week? I so. love that. I love that. Yeah. And on the flip side, later on in the week, on Thursdays, <laughs> you also facilitate the opposite end of the spectrum with laughing yoga. I have Correct. taken a laugh yoga class before and it was a lot of fun. It was completely not, it was, you would think like, oh, I'm going to expect something different. And I did. And it was like, <laughs> nope, this is exactly what it is. But tell us a little bit more from your perspective. Oh my gosh. Um, laugh yoga is such, oh gosh, exactly what you said. It's like, you think that it's going to be different than what you said, but it's actually not. It's exactly how you think it is. So, um, the, the, the definition that I kind of have for it is like, it's an ancient practice of intentional laughter. Um, what does that mean? It's like we get in downward dog for, uh, vinyasa yoga or hatha yoga. And we kind of invoke that, that, power of that stance of the dog and that stretch of the dog and all of that. Similarly, we put ourselves in the posture of laughter in order to invoke joy. So it's 
kind of playing upon science as well as this spiritual component of invoking the spirit of joy. Um, But the, the brain and the body does not know the difference between real or fake laughter. So we go through a series of exercises, basically, um, you know, playing, playing in these games of laughter. It's almost yeah. like a acting warm up. Sometimes if you've ever been in an acting class, it'll just be like, all right, you know, make sounds like this. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and then we move into a laughter and it's really a great time. Um, you know, in that the beginning, even, it, it feels forced, like, okay, nothing's funny. But by the time you start, like, you're you're watching and feeling everybody else feel that same awkwardness, but everyone's, like, doing this weird laugh thing. But by the, like, not even the end, but, like, halfway through it, like, the laughter is genuine. The laughter is real. And it's, and it's not just manufactured in terms of going through exercises. Like, everybody in that place is, is like, overwhelmingly joyful. Like, it's, like, almost impossible to not be. Because I honestly was like, I am not going to sit here and fake laugh for, <laughs> I do that enough during the week. Right. I, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here right. and fake laugh for a whole class. But by like 10 minutes in, I was not just laughing, but like cracking up because, and it was contagious. It was, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. It's so good. It's so good. So it, one thing, two things that I'll share that I share in my classes. One is um, science shows that even a partial shift of your teeth and lips into a half smile starts to begin to fire off the feel good neurotransmitters. So even taking like a pen and hang out, hang out, hang out, yeah. No, honestly, yeah. you can actually feel it. It starts to do something to the system. Right. So with that, it's just like, all right, we're getting the physiological benefits, if nothing else. You Starting there, you get the physiological right. benefits, which T-cells production increases, which means your body's ability to heal, your immunity goes up, your ability to make uh, decisions in the prefrontal cortex starts to go up, cortisol levels go down, dopamine and serotonin goes up. I mean, Heart rate changes. It's a, it's all the above. It's all the good stuff. And so then on top of that, right, then you have the thing like, all right, even for five minutes, right? So even right now, if we just both sit here and go like this, <laughs> lift our shoulders up and down, almost immediately things get clearer in the room. You can kind of see things more clear. Your, your senses go, go into like a primal overdrive. Mm-hmm. Where you can hear things more clearly, see things, taste things, smell things, all of that. And then the beauty of it all, if you think about your your relationships, right? Any relationship that you have that is close to you, almost mm-hmm. every single one, you can pinpoint the beginning of that relationship began with a smile or a laughter or laughter. And yeah. laughing yoga is social yoga. So really in person, it becomes so much more like fulfilling because like you said, I'm going to bounce off of you and you're going to bounce off of me. If we're both sitting there awkward and not really laughing about something, that's going to turn into real laughter because we're right. recognizing our humanity. Look, yes. We're pretty awkward here. <laughs> we're weird right here. Yeah. Then, I'm laughing now just thinking of that interaction. How awkward. Exactly how it was. I was like, are, do we look at each other? Am I going to do they? I don't want them looking at me like feeling awkward, but I'm like, if they're looking at me feeling awkward, that means I'm looking at you feeling awkward. And that's what makes <laughs> it funny. And that's how it starts, literally. 
Exactly, exactly. Uh, Neely Fuller, this is, this is how I say it, it's changed all my context for everything. Neely Fuller says, there's nothing funny in the system of white supremacy. So, you know, that breaks down how white supremacists like to use, you know, humor to be racist. Like, even what I say, like, we laugh it off, mm-hmm. we joke, all these racial jokes or whatever. Um, right. It, and and so I say, if nothing is system, is, nothing is funny in the system of white supremacy. If we wait for something to be funny, we might not ever laugh, and we might not ever get these benefits, all the physiological benefits that I just listed, all the mental right. benefits, all the emotional benefits. So if we don't, if we wait for something to be funny, we might not ever laugh. Right. But knowing you look at it, uh, next time you're around a group of three year olds, two year olds, four year olds, before before the age of five, even five year olds sometimes, right? Go up to them and you say, laugh. Just like that. Just say, mm-hmm. laugh. No resistance. They start to laugh. Yeah. They don't need laughter exercise. They don't need laugh yoga. They don't need nothing. They just laugh. Just laugh. It. And they start laughing. There's no resistance there. Whereas now, we have so much resistance that it's like, oh, I, it's all fake laughter. Or it's I have to wait for something to mm-hmm. make me laugh. Or I have to wait for me to be in a good mood to laugh. Where... Really, no, it's just actually your true nature to be in a state of joy is your true nature. And robbing yourself from that because you have this mental resistance is is what is keeping us sick. It's keeping us like downtrodden, (laughs) you know, it's it's keeping us bound. And you see children just free to be able to say, okay, laugh, dance, sing, play. Yes. No resistance. No resistance. And we have this resistance, and that's, like, literally what makes our shoulders tight. It's what makes our face start to droop. Trust me. Trust me. <laughs> we we have this, this context for our joy that it has to come from something outside of ourselves. Right. And laugh yoga is, it starts here. Joy is always it. on the inside. Joy is something that people here. cannot take away from you. Happiness is that, you know... That, you know, uh, experiential, um, there has to be something that made me happy. But that joy that's inside you, that can't be taken away because that's self-manufactured. That belongs to exactly. you. You own your own joy. And it's about how it's expressed or something else. But it's not about happiness because that's temporal. But joy is permanent. Exactly. And that's why I feel like it's so revolutionary. You don't need a doctor for it. You don't need, you don't need to go pay anybody for it. Mm-hmm. Once you come to this one time, you can literally start Every morning, look in the, in the mirror and just giggle with yourself. And giggle That's with it. yourself. Yes, I just love start. it. Just <laughs> start the day that way. Start the day that way. Yes. Uh, it's, it's a revolution. It's, a, it's the rebellious way. Think about how different it is if you're being arrested unjustly and you're crying versus laughing. Right. Look at that difference. I mean, just it's, it gives me chills just to think about it. It's like power the joy of the lord is our strength that strength that power that resilience like you're not gonna get me and break me oh lord no 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 no. i will be here with this joy on my face inside of me inside of me from from within i remember Um, when we were kids we used to say i've got the joy 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 down in my heart heart. heart. where down in I got the joy. No, exactly that. Exactly that. We got it in our bones. We got it in our blood. We got it in our heart. Yes. And it, it's it's medicine. It really is medicine. And the, the funny medicine. thing for me, I have to share this. Every time I go to teach laughing yoga, I mean, it's going to happen like clockwork is today, Thursday. No, tomorrow's Thursday. Something weird is going to happen tomorrow because I have to <laughs> teach tomorrow. Every time, every, I'm saying every single time, it's like God tells me like 
like God makes the joke with me. Yeah. Like you you signing up to teach laugh yoga? Okay, let's see yeah. if you really here's, here's your material. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see if you can really be about this. And the weirdest, most like sometimes the most depressing things happen on those days. And I really have to practice what I preach that it's not outside. I'm not waiting for something to make me laugh from the outside. I have to generate it from within. And it's there. It's always there. It's always there. So. Oh, I love when it. You see me playing Lavi, you're going to be like, okay, what what happened to Sharon that she's going through today? And I might share, you know, because it's, right. it's hilarious to me. God joning yeah. on me. That's what I say. God's joning on me. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I love that you funny. have, like, just in the last couple things that you've mentioned, you mentioned the Lord, you've mentioned um, mm. your spiritual practices. So we're going to end up now with gospel yoga so like <laughs> i'm just waiting for like all the mail <laughs> emails about gospel yoga because the mere mention of this practice is going to ruffle feathers at best and set someone off at worst so please expound on what gospel yoga is and how you incorporate your faith into this practice because and i say this so many people that i know think that yoga is some sort of anti-Christian, anti-spirituality, devil connection. And I'm just Mm. like, what? I don't understand. And my thing is, and what I also can't do is engage you with foolishness. So so you are a gospel yoga practitioner who have (laughs) more than one time professed your belief and love of the Lord um, and your religiously know spiritual practices and background. So let us have it, explain, and how you incorporate your faith into this practice. Wow. Yeah, this one, this one is really, truly the, the blending of, of who I am. And Uh it took a long, long time to get there. I would say this is, this is after probably, I would say this is my life's like process is trying to find this balance and being able to offer this was me finally coming to a place where I could even answer this question. Right. So if we don't let what human beings translate about our relationship with the most high, Mm -hmm. we're good. We're good. Right. The moment, the moment that somebody else's, perspective opinion say so about your personal relationship with the most high that's where you're gonna get tripped up yeah and i've been tripping for a long time because i could not i could not i could not connect the two right and uh i have to give credit to my motherland to sri lanka for this um where in sri lanka you can walk down the, the same road you'll see a hindu temple a buddhist temple a catholic church a mosque a christian church and maybe like uh, uh like in between place right and <laughs> an in between station yeah. yeah yeah no like some other type of church and swami sachitananda who i studied laughing yoga from and he has um you know you might have heard of yogaville in virginia that uh, is his ashram mm-hmm. but you might have seen his his mandala or yantra that where all the little um what is it 
I guess, symbols from each tradition is around the, the yantra, and it says, all paths meet as one. So Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, all, all of these different symbols, all in the, in the lotus, but at the center, it's, it's still the creator. Right. And I've heard, I've heard, you know, sta- statements like, you know, there are five blind men who walked up to an elephant feeling the elephant. Mm-hmm. And they, they wrote down, you know, they gave their count for what the elephant feels like. One of them was feeling the, the tusk. So it's like, God is, the, you know, this elephant is this big, you know, uh, uh, tusk and right. it's smooth and it's ivory. And then the one touching the tail, you know, that it's like, it's got this spiky ball on the end and the smooth mm-hmm. thing. The other one's feeling the leg. It's this huge trunk and it's hard to. So my point is that we, all the different traditions are trying to say the same thing. Yeah. And when I told you that I came back from Ohio, I went through this rigorous, like, deep dive into a few different traditions mm-hmm. and um, for my cultural reasons. But right. I came out feeling like I could experience these deeper because I was raised in the church. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and like, so I, I'll share this. When I was in my Reiki master teacher training, um, or no, it was my Reiki level one. This guy was like, you know, doing the meditation. He was like, okay, I got to stop this real quick. Somebody in here has a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that <laughs> presence is very heavy in here. And there was three people in the room. And I'm what? like, is it me, Lord? <laughs> and he went through he went through sharing his like, you know, that's a really strong presence. And mm-hmm. it's uh, like and I felt I got chills just thinking about it now. It was like it was such a like blessing. Like I, I I'm here with you in this. I'm right. here with you in this. And every time in my own personal journey, every time I went anywhere else in any other tradition, it wasn't like Jesus left me behind or God left me behind. Right. That boosted and amplified my relationship with God even more so. Right. And I, um, I went through a period of time that was pretty dark where I felt spiritually attacked. And I actually like one night I took all of my yoga manuals and, and books and my, my scribbles and Sanskrit writing, all this stuff. And I put it in the trash. Mm. I put it all in the trash and I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, turn to Christ and re- revoke all this stuff. You know, I, you, uh, like you said, a lot of people from the church would be like, that's demonic. That's this, this, this. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I got to listen to it. Cause my life, you know, I'm feeling spiritually attacked. I'm feeling like, you know, I'm not really moving forward in my life. So I got to get rid of all this stuff. Right. Put that stuff in the trash. 5am the next morning, I went straight to that garbage. I was like, Oh no, 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 no. That's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And so from that moment on, I feel like there was such a genuine, like, personal meeting of God in all of these things where I was like, all right, I have to do, I have to hold both. I have to hold both. I have to hold my, my understanding of all these other traditions. And I have to honor the fact that I have had such a personal, close relationship with Yeshua, with Jesus Christ, my whole life and my ancestry, my ancestors also have come to that. My current living ancestors also are into that so it's like i came to a point where i personally had to say it's both yeah it's not one or the other it's both Mm -hmm. and if i truly believe that god has created all things if i truly believe that god is the maker of 
me and my desires and what I'm into, what mm-hmm. I feel drawn towards. And I feel that God doesn't speak only English. God doesn't only come to America. God doesn't only speak to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Pastors in, in, in big churches. No. Yeah. With the authority of the I am presence within me, that resonates with all things. So right. inside of, inside of these like meanderings of my own consciousness, I brought it into this practice and ultimately said, we are a body of worship. We, mm-hmm. this body, I'm, I'm going to make this body a body of worship. The breath yeah. that I'm breathing is the Holy Spirit. The move, the, the blood that cor- the bl- no, I really, that's what I go into. And so yes. it's like, it's funny. It's funny to me because yes. my parents, my parents who are heavy in the Pentecostal Christian movement, they're very much in that movement. And they hear me. They'll hear me speak in tongues. They'll hear me preaching. They'll be hollering, talking about bring Jesus into your bones, bring Jesus into your life. You know, call upon the source of all creation to be with you here now. And they're hearing this and it's like, I guess it's not too different from what we don't on this other, you know, I guess that's not too different. I guess she's not going to hell, you know? And, I feel that this is very much for people like us who, you know, who grew up in the church, who then got cut out, cut off because you didn't do what that pastor said so, or you didn't do what the collective human being, you know, group thinks said so. You, you, you stepped out and you said, hmm. I'm going to see if God goes with me over here to this place. Right. I'm going to see if Jesus is still in my heart when I'm over here doing this stuff. Right. And I'm going to, I'm just here to tell you, yes, yes, that source is in all things and it goes with you everywhere, including to yoga. Yes. And what I've noticed is even in churches, right? Nobody tells people how to lift your hands and release through the body. They don't. You right. just watch it. You start seeing, okay, we get the praise dance on, we shake, we dance, we do that. But nobody walks you through that. But there are people who right. need that walking through to enter into new states of prayer and praise and worship. And that that was a really where the, the two met together, where I'm seeing we got a lot of people in the church who are sick. We got a lot of people in the church who can't move their hips. We got a lot of people in the church who are, you know, stiff, literally stiff. Then we also have a whole generation of people who grew up in the church who are no longer welcome or don't feel safe in an environment that speaks about Jesus. Mm. However, they are longing and need a place to deconstruct their faith faith, and also feel free in their bodies. Right. So this for me was like for people like me, but also to be a testimony, if you will, or be a, like a, a, a stand for and say so. Like these two things go together, you guys. <laughs> these two things go together. Even yeah. if you are over there judging me, you're going to see this gospel yoga every day, like on your timeline. You're going to see me speak on this thing very inconveniently to your little box of, of how you think. I'm going to be knocking on that door and telling you, no, if we believe that the source of all creation is that is the source of all things. Yeah. That source is the source of yoga, of Ayurveda, of traditional Chinese medicine, of, you know, the Orisha, of, of, uh, the Hindu deities. I mean, all of it, um, all of it. And yeah. it, it's, it's, isn't it like God? Isn't it like this mysterious, all encompassing 
creator to show up in the places that we as humans have said, no, nope, God not can't here. show up here. Not here. Mm-hmm. God can't come to the club. God can't come to the bar. God can't come to the yoga. God can't come if you smoke a weed. God can't come. All these things. But yeah. I'm here as a living, breathing, you know, testimony. Example. Yeah. Uh-huh. God comes with you to these places. God comes Lord. with you to these places. And I'm it, coming it, to gospel it, yoga. I'm just telling you that. Please do. My please do. I want the full experience of it all under oh, your leadership please. and everything else. Because that's the first oh time I've God. heard of gospel yoga. There's a whole bunch of other variations. But I, I really do want to en- enjoy gospel yoga with you. Because I feel like that is a, that's going to be dope. That will be dope. <laughs> Yay! No, it's a it, it's it's my it's one of my favorites. I want to say laugh yoga is my favorite, but gospel yoga, yeah, that's like coming home. Yeah, I love it's that. Like oh my goodness, I love it. Last <laughs> well, and definitely not least, dog yoga with associated dog training. Okay, so how did this yes. com- combination come to fruition? And tell us how you connect the two. Sure. Um, so I love animals. Part of why natural rhythms is a thing is because uh, I have made my family the earth. I have made my family the plants and the trees and the, the animals. And I, um, you know, I, I, that's just how I live. I just really love and desire that. And so right. I have, you know, I when I had my apartment, I, <laughs> I had five animals in my apartment. And people would come over and be like, this girl has a mena- menagerie in here. And... <laughs> It was just that. And people didn't get like how they all live in so peacefully together. How are they all doing? You know, they don't make noise. They don't do any of that. And um, I started a a rigorous training um, program with uh, a company called Canine Corporation. And they're based out of, I want to say Frederick, Maryland. Now they might have moved. Um, But essentially it was like police dog training. But it was this thread of mindfulness and and like energy, like communication that I really was drawn towards. And I had I had studied different types of training and different types of animal communication, animal Reiki, all this sort of stuff. But this was different. And it personally trained me in a different way. Right. And uh, the the training basically is like we're not training dogs, we're training people. Mm. And so that's where dog yoga comes in is because really dogs know how to move dogs like respond like intelligent competent creatures it's humans who try to do this weird like glom onto things and and try to you know humanize dogs and (laughs) and make them have it no it's it's super weird and i will say that i've done it in my own way but learning how to communicate in their language transforms the dynamic right part of being able to change how you communicate is by getting in your body so mm-hmm. dong yoga is really just like a training session for the human on how to kind of get out of their own way so for instance taking a deep breath that's a communication to your dog if you mm-hmm. notice your dog when you're sitting around might take these breaths mm-hmm. that's their way of saying it's chill time it's calm time yeah and the way that a dog says i love you is by being calm relaxed and in a zen-like state around you. That's their mm-hmm. peak time. Right. And what I do is I kind of break some of the stuff down that I do in my dog training sessions into this dog yoga class. So, we, you know, 
virtually you might have you know your dog with you in the same space but we're working on you we're working on you as a human and you get to see the dog respond to that um and i i find it like it's again another tool like the having a a, an animal is another tool of liberation Mm -hmm. um because they mirror back to you what your energy system is doing. Similarly to, you know, the earth around you, it mirrors back to what's going on underneath the surface going is mirroring back what's going on in the area. The, the animals around you are telling you things. Mm -hmm. They're communicating. They're, they're telling you about your energy system. They're telling you about how you're breathing, how you're smelling, what you're giving off as far as your signal. Right. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a work in progress. Dog yoga is definitely a work in progress. It's like um, we went from doing it in person to then trying to do it online. And now we're hoping to do it in person again. Um, again, it's all about the, the individual yeah. realigning with their rhythm. So if they're out of rhythm, their dog's out of rhythm. If right. they're in sync, their dog's in sync. And yeah. um, it it's it's a chance for my, my train, like people who are in my training program to really get the, the nugget of the other work I do. So they only see me in this context of like, you know, I'm coming in and I'm training the dog. We're doing this sort of stuff, but here's a way for you to get where I'm coming from with this. Cause I'm not Mm -hmm. coming from just, I'm a police dog training dog. You know, I'm not Mm -hmm. coming from that. I'm coming from, we're part of this ecosystem. Yeah, yeah relationship from animal partnership. Animal partnership is yes. what I call it. So, yes, yeah, love it. Partnership is one of my favorite words. So, yes, I I love that. I see, that's, to me, I that's a manifestation that. of joy, partnership, relationship, mm. all those things. Yes, yes. Totally, okay. Totally. You have several projects um, that are in the works. So, tell us about a few of them before we go. Sure. Um, I shared one uh, was my self love. Uh, book coming out this mm-hmm. year um that's that's a yeah that's just going to be a little tidbit for each day for you to kind of incorporate into your work into your life into who you are so that self-love becomes a part of who you are because that's the basis for really everything yeah um so that's that um i'm t you know i teach online um and the you know all the classes that we mentioned um something that is it has been in the works for the last few years is the natural rhythms foundation okay. which is a nonprofit that basically works to bring all of these things into um like trauma informed restorative justice initiative so you could kind of hear that in all the things that I do but it's more right. fine tuned and to be as a um kind of a campaign or a uh kind of push towards areas or situations that need that so in back in 2019 there were eight bombings in church in catholic churches in sri lanka on easter sunday and so that kind of boosted and motivated me to be like okay i need to kind of get this in order and the 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 proposal was for to have like a six week six to eight week program there where we have we work work with acupuncture without borders we work with doctor without borders and kind of have like a a center for holistic healing as well as workshops and conversations and meditations to 
heal this in-between space of how do you deal with how do you deal with things in a war-stricken country and uh the u.s is a war zone you know as we know for because of the system of white supremacy and so um that is uh the goal and the intention of that um i have several like series that I'm working on right now I'm doing a I'm on week two of planting seeds with intention so this is about food sovereignty and seed sovereignty um, learning how to grow your own food if you've never grown your own food and how to um, invoke and involve yourself with the spiritual parts of that planting process so right. you know we, we don't just stick a, a shovel in the ground and break the ground that way we do prayers we do you know dances intentional work around breaking ground and that sort of thing so that's a four-week series that i'm involved in that's donation based and um you know for for the community for that reason right um coming up in the summer i'm doing a a a series called Raised by Wolves, okay. which is um, we're still we're still fine tuning that one also, but um, it's looking like a monthly uh, day in the woods for kids with mm. my dogs slash uh, <laughs> you I know having it. the the animals there. Yeah, uh, I'm a forest kindergarten teacher, which is another part of my whole yeah. <laughs> curriculum. Um, but you know, in, in encouraging. Uh, curriculum to be based outside for children that there's no such thing as bad weather there's only bad clothing right and um no really and really. I'm, and I'm saying unpreparedness my grandmother said that she's like the weather is going to do what it's going to do you have to respond to it and then when you don't 100%. that's when it becomes an issue but the weather is just doing what weather does and the outside is just doing what mother nature does you got to prepare to her she has no she has no need to cater to your whim that it's sunny every day and, and you know in clear skies no that's not how the life works so she taught me that when i was younger she's like change your clothes <laughs> wise wise woman you know Very that, wise. That, that yeah. is so true it's just you're you're sad because you didn't dress up you right. knew that this was a variable right. you knew this was a variable exactly um so there's that uh coming up i'm trying to think if there's anything else oh the soap opera <laughs> okay uh, soap opera is uh i also make soaps and another uh friend of mine who's from uh, the Herbella Nation Collective, uh, Tierra Handmade Soaps and okay. Rare Babe Spacecraft. They're all people who, um, you know, support natural rhythms and work with us. So we're doing a soap making, intentional soap making class um, right. that's going to be looking like or late spring. Um Honestly, there's there's just always stuff coming up. There's yes. a they were doing a conversation about sex and gender and and conversations around race and religion and that um, deconstructing Christianity is part of that. Uh, we'll have a panel with that. Um, I I realized I think I I had this conversation with you that we have you know a yoga teacher alliance where we pay Europeans to be registered to be yoga teachers and have um, yoga schools and all this sort of stuff so they're kind of like this gatekeeper for yoga. There is a Black Yoga Alliance where we can find yoga teachers who are black and we can support them. There's absolutely nothing in the realm of South Asian yoga teachers and so. Um, <laughs> This is still in the the very beginning stages, but um, we're starting the South Asian Teachers of Yoga Alliance so right. that, you know, you can find and locate those around the globe who are from South Asian descent who are practicing Vedic um, 
you know, practices. Right. So uh, hopefully, um, if it's not this year, it will be next year, is doing a panel of different people who are doing that work, who are doing the work around yoga, occult, cultural appropriation and deconstructing how we, you know, use yoga for financial gain and for uh, seeming like you're, you're uh, what's the word, exotic or culturally relevant and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So, um, yeah, I, honestly, there's, there's so much, there's so much coming up. I that know that. I, like, I know that. That's why I said, oh, like, you got, you got your hands on a lot of fire, not your hands, the irons and a lot of fires and your hands on a lot of different things, but all again, that are feeding, not just feeding you, but feeding the, in the community in the ways that everybody needs it, everything from their pets to their food, to their own self-care and self-love. And so it's amazing. So are there any other resources besides the one that you've, all the ones that you've mentioned today um, for our listeners who want to explore yoga from a culturally appropriate space while simultaneously fellowshipping with other women of color? Yes. Um, well, depending on where you are, uh, there, there are physical uh, yoga studios that, I love and and have uh, benefited from going to. Um, Mm -hmm. There's Spiritual Essence Yoga in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Um, Dana Smith is, she's a black woman. Um, She does amazing work there. It was one of the first times when I went to that class where there was not a single white person in the room. And that was like really nice, really, really nice. as far as a greater community, um, I know that there are places in New York. One is called Third Eye Roots, I believe is the name. Um, they they do a lot of like the deconstructive work. Um, Susanna Ba, I, I always mess up her name. Barkanatha, I believe. Um, let me actually. I don't want to invoke her name wrong. Okay. Um, she does. She does a lot of. Barkataki, Barkataki. Uh, she does a lot of work around okay. speaking around how to culturally, like how to work around culturally appropriative things happening in your practice. How to kind of honor and handle that. Um, but to be honest, not a lot of people are doing it. <laughs> not a lot of people Listen, are really you know, speaking on this subject. I don't trust me. I know that's that's why you're here. Anyway, <laughs> any parting words of wisdom uh, before we sign off? Um, love yourself and be true to yourself. And I know that's like very cliche, Mm -hmm. but really, really you get to decide what's right for you. Yeah. And you have sovereignty, you have autonomy, you have power, you have a say so, you belong, you matter, you're beautiful, you are divinely appointed to be where you are supposed to be at this time, at this place, you, for such a time as this. Yeah. So wherever you are placed, blossom. And if you're not blossoming, move. Mm-hmm. Shake some stuff up. Uh, readjust, readjust, because your your birthright is to bloom and blossom. Your birthright is to go in the way that you're intended to go, which you yeah. only know. And empower yourself to connect with that source. You are part of nature. You are part of this this story. So 
that that that's my those are my words of wisdom <laughs> i love it bloom where you're planted bloom where you're planted so thank exactly. you so much sharon i'm sure hopefully your classes will become flooded because i know i'm about to step into that gospel yoga class and oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it thank you so much and we'll see each other soon thank you so much much love Peace. Peace. Thanks for joining Women's Health Wisdom and Wine. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, remember to follow us, review us, and give us five stars. Till we meet again, remember, nourish your flourish.